All right, you're listening to Memorabilia, first track from my solo album. And this is a free improv uh, intro to the piece. I'm taking the first uh, motif from the, from the melody as a starting point. It often helps me to connect uh, a free improv or a free uh, intro to a song. Here we are in the form. I wrote this piece at my parents' place in Hagen, where I grew up, on the balcony next to my old uh, childhood room, just with a pen and paper, without the instrument, obviously. There's no instrument on the balcony. And um, I like to do that um, from time to time because I get into different things. This section introduces some of the elements that will be coming up more often in the solo album. Uh, overdubs. When I went into the studio, in June of 2020, I played piano and uh, overdubbed a little bit of Celesta in this little section that's, that will be coming oft more often. But when I listened to it after, a couple of months after that, I felt something was missing. So I went into the home studio of my friend Oliver Lutz and we recorded some stuff with my Mellotron that I bought around that time. Back in that section now. Kind of reminds me a little bit uh, of um, there's very very subtle um, woodwind arrangements on the record um, New Standard by Herbie Hancock, one of my favorite records. And these arrangements. They're so in the background that you don't really notice them, and I really like that. I wanted to have something similar. It kind of broadens the palette a little bit, and yeah, back into the section. This section I wrote not on the balcony, but when I came back home then to my place. It's a little bit more pianistic. Mainly improvising over the first page and the second page is also something that I then wrote at the piano when I arrived back home, developing the material that comes further. But I'll let you know when we get to the second page. Yeah, we're lo looping this part for a little while. And we'll get to the second page. Second page. It's 
kind of a variation of the first page. bars are played on the piano but we took them out when we were doing the mellotron overdubs because it made more sense to have a full orchestral sound for once. I never wrote those backgrounds down at kind of improvise them or try to find something that worked. But now I kind of want to write them down because I don't remember what I did. There's a nice line that one of the horn plays. And on the Mellotron that I have, you can mix certain sounds. So I, I think I mixed kind of a flute sound with a trombone sound and kind of gives it an interesting timbre. Ruby, my dear, is uh, one of my favorite Thelonious Monk tunes. I guess the version that I know the best is or that I'm, that I'm familiar with the most is the one with John Coltrane from the Coltrane Monk album. And I think this was the second take. Before that, I kind of was relying a little bit too much on the original and not really allowing myself to discover the piece on my own. It's a problem that I sometimes have with Monk's music because it's so specific and usually people play the melody and the chords and you don't really get the full picture when you just have those parameters with Monk's music because there's so many little things that belong to the piece. So I usually take that as an opportunity to go deep and try to learn as much about the song as possible. Because it's how he plays it that really shows you what, what is the piece. It's not just the melody and the, the chords. But that brings the difficulty with it that you get stuck in <laughs> imitating the original. So I guess in the second second take, I had to force myself a little bit to let go and just discover it myself. So right now I'm in the solo section, which is the form basically. But I, I noticed that I could find pedal tones that would resemble the harmony and the functions, but have it a little bit in a, in a more, let's say, modal um, setting. 
it doesn't move around as much as in the yeah in the melody. I can really hear, hear myself allowing to find those other other colors that I usually introduce or use when I play my own music, but I really have to let go when I play standards and allow myself to find those colors. Celesta is back for a song noir, a piece that was originally uh, recorded with the trio, with my trio, on the album Lineage. When I was in the studio, in the Deutschlandfunk studio, they rented a Celesta for me. It was a nice Celesta, but it also was broken a little bit, and you can hear it at some places. <laughs> but it had a vibe and it had a certain sound and I like how it reverberates in the room. But I recorded it on Celesta solo, and after that we tried to, in the studio still, uh, I tried to play with uh, Yamaha DX7 a solo over it, the solo section. But I couldn't, I couldn't play over the changes, it was just too hard, and uh, also we didn't really find the right sound, so... We just left it solo, but like with a couple of other pieces on the record, I kept listening to it and felt like something was missing. And mainly my struggle to do a solo record was, you know, in a way overcoming that uh, the, the self-doubt of not being able to do good music on my own, basically. And I don't, <laughs> I don't really know if I succeeded because I had to do overdubs on certain pieces but you know it's the end product I guess that counts but um, Song Noir I kept listening to that song the solo Celesta and when I bought the Mellotron and started doing overdubs on other songs I felt the flute sound could be something that I could use on this so I used it for the melody and also here now we're in the solo section I could use it to play a solo and somehow it it was easier to float over those chords with the flute sound. And the flute is something that is very dear and, and something that's very, very... I like the sound, but also I have a connection to the sound because of my father who 
Not only is a great pianist, but he also plays the flute very well. Yeah, here we kind of uh, put the flutes down an octave or two octaves to strengthen those chords that wouldn't have had that impact with the cellist on, on its own. Chronic Romantic was a character that I imagined. And I, I, I imagined that guy as a, as, a, as a sort of a Bond villain or something who had the condition to always say something romantic regardless of the situation that he's in. And that thought helped me to write this piece and to also allow myself to write a, a romantic and sweet piece like this, which I wouldn't have dared a couple of years ago. I guess you can hear my the influence that Gabriel Fauré's music and Federico Mompo's music and maybe also Franz Liszt's music has on me. And uh, yeah, this came from a actually a third recording session. The first recording session was at Deutschlandfunk uh, with piano and cellista. Second one was with overdubs at my friend's place. The third one was at Riverside Studios in Cologne where I recorded three more piano pieces that were more through composed and more actual solo pieces. I sort of grew into the solo world more during that year of not performing with people. And this is a result of that, chronic romantic. Embracing You was a piece that I knew was going to be a lot of work in terms of playing overdubs, recording overdubs and um, using different colors. I think I started with the Yamaha DX7 recording those chords and then playing the melody which is the top note of those chords uh, with the celesta but right now in the first first round it's muted but we're going to hear it in the second there it is and then I recorded a bass with just a low piano notes that we kind of altered a little bit the sound of and later on we'll get to a solo section first we're gonna play uh, yeah I'll, I'll introduce a new section with chords and um, over that we'll hear a celesta melody and then a celesta improvisation. So I recorded a couple of celesta improvisations over that form. Here it is. This is the B section where you'll hear the melody on top. And um, so I recorded a couple of uh, impro takes, but we actually just stacked them on top of each other because... I like the, what, yeah, kind of what they did to each other. And 
couple of months later, we recorded the, those uh, low flute sounds from the Mellotron that you're hearing here. This actually, this little swirl or whatever, was a, um, a mistake from copying something that was edited. So that actually was something from the the impro section that comes later. But I like this. I like the mistake, so we kept it. This is the melody I was talking about. solo section. So it's piano improvising and then Celesta improvising all on top of each other and the Mellotron also is playing a couple of lines in the background. I guess this is one of the songs that was most inspired by this guy Blake Mills and his way of producing. I was listening to his album Mutable Set all the time when I was uh, recording this album. The melody comes back. That vamp in the background is in time. It's two times repeated, four bars, and then we get to a second ending, or third ending, actually which is another four bars. And the melody is written freely on top of that, so it usually ends up in different places of the harmony. And there we have uh, an organ that I found on the Mellotron. title track of the record and it's uh, dedicated to my family, my two kids and my wife. Serenade was a birthday present for my wife. We spent some time together at our apartment uh, when the kids were on uh, hanging out at my mother-in-law's place, and that was around her birthday. So I wrote this in my room, and she was hanging out in the living room. And the next day, she had a birthday, and this was a uh, birthday present for her, serenade. The intro you just heard was something that I wrote afterwards, after I wrote the the piece basically and I wanted to have something like a sometimes uh, in Jobim's music there's a, there's a intros that sort of set a vibe but don't really have much to do with the written material at least it seems to me like that way and I wanted to have something similar something that is a, introducing a vibe but then uh, opening a d different door into the piece this also was from the third recording session. 
done in uh, February of 2021, when, as I said before, I settled into the solo mood a little bit more through one year of playing solo, basically. And then I noticed, yeah, this is another one of those really, to me, solo pieces. So I had to record this, and this had to be part of the album. This way of accompanying yourself with the left hand is something that I've heard before but with, uh, from, from my teacher, John Taylor. He's really great at that. And uh, listening to him helped me to yeah, understand this kind of accompaniment and try to incorporate it in this piece. And again, here I wrote an outro that is a little bit reminiscent of the intro, but also something a little different. Face on the Barroom Floor is one of the, I think, greatest compositions by Wayne Shorter. I mean, he has yet to write a bad song, <laughs> but... This is one of the, the greatest ones, to me at least. From a later Weather Report album, I think it's called Spot in Life, where he's playing it in duo with uh, Joe Savino. And I came across the original sheet music of Wayne's sort of a quest that I'm on to find as much uh, of his handwritten uh, sheet music. And... Um, yeah, I think the first time I really performed it live was in duo with Nelson Veras on guitar. But I thought maybe for the solo album this might be a nice thing to try. because It's pretty challenging harmonically and, and just, yeah, melody also to get it all together um, in a solo setting. But um, I thought I'd try and I found it very, very inspiring. And I think also this was the second take, like uh, like Ruby, my dear. The first take I was, again, too reliant on um, the original, trying to get it right, and by that, you know, uh, getting it wrong in a way. And here I just allowed myself to, to play with it. And it's something that I have to remind myself to play like a kid would play with material. When a kid is playing with Legos, it's not, um, not trying to get it right, it's just trying to have fun, to build something. So I try to approach it like that. 
and thereby I, f I feel I got closer to the piece. Got a personal thing out of it. And that also had, on a technical level, had to do with allowing myself to step out of the time and then get back into the time and um, or even leave the form for a while. Like here. Back into it. This is again from the first recording session that I did at Deutschlandfunk. And I went to the studio with like an insane list of material, around 40 pieces. And I think I recorded, at that first recording session, I've recorded 30 pieces, only allowing myself a couple of takes, like two or three the most. I didn't want to have a situation where I kind of forced myself and wanted to get it right or something. Because I was scared, you know, yeah, scared of the solo challenge. <laughs> so I felt like I need as little as, as much, how do I say this? I need, I don't need any pressure. That's what I'm trying to say. So I tried to put away all the pressure, just allowing myself like, Okay, if it doesn't work with the first or second take, I'll move on to the next because I have so much material that I would like to play. There'll be some something that will come out of it. And as I said, you know, the recording process of this album was almost, almost a full year. And uh, it's interesting to see what ended up on the record from the, from the first recording session, from the second recording session where I did the overdubs, and from the third where I recorded those, uh, as I said, um, more specific solo pieces. <laughs> For example, if there were certain pieces like Round Midnight, I usually play Round Midnight at every solo concert and I feel super comfortable with it. So I thought, this is a no-brainer, I'll record this at the solo, solo recording. And I couldn't get it, I couldn't get it right. I couldn't get it uh, to, a, to a place where I usually get to pretty quickly when I play it live. And different other pieces where I felt like hesitant or uh, wasn't sure if they would work out like this one actually, uh, I, I got to a place and uh, it's interesting. On Wayne's sheet, there's, <laughs> there's uh, two eyes and glasses written at this very moment.
Bowl Song by John Taylor and it's this is on my my favorite John Taylor album called Roslyn. It's the first track from that album. And here again uh, we'll hear the Yamaha DX7 and this is a very specific sound that I found when I was playing with my kids on on that um, on the DX7 experimenting and trying to find different sounds. We found this sound together and I felt a very uh, kind of a connection to this sound. I like how it moves and how it's not static. And I wanted to record the bowl song so I I tried it on the on the DX7 and I found that it really fits to how I how I feel about this song. And I don't really improvise on this take. It's just me playing the melody and thinking about John actually. Just thinking about him and I really miss him. I really miss him. I didn't want to use headphones, so we installed a speaker for the Yamaha DX7 that we put into the room and then recorded it from there. So you're hearing how the sound moves through the room. This is exactly how it sounded to me when I was sitting there and playing. You can also, if you listen very closely, you can hear the, the keys moving. And also there was a issue with um, the lamps on the on the ceiling. So there was a clicking sound at some point. We couldn't figure out how to turn it off or whatever. So sometimes you hear it, but it adds to the to the vibe. This is this exact sound that you've heard before in on embracing you. In fact, the the only DX7 sound that I'm using on the record. Private Eye Blue was inspired by the New York trilogy by Paul Auster, especially the second, I mean mainly the second uh, story from that trilogy, where a guy gets hired to spy on another guy, and he kind of loses himself in that task, buying an apartment, just leaving his wife leaving his life and uh, buying an apartment just across the street from the guy he's supposed to spy on and documenting everything about him. And this piece is uh, sort of uh, trying to get close to how he turns mad. recorded it solo and again it's the same story like on other pieces I wasn't satisfied with just a solo thing so we recorded 
a clarinet, of course, <laughs> why not a clarinet? Uh, a clarinet with the, um, with the Mellotron. But we put a, um, a delay on it, and also when I send it to the guy who mixed it, Rob Griffin, um, he, I told him that the, the clarinet should be like an alien life, life form that is lurking in the back somewhere. It's not, on, it's not in the foreground, it's somewhere in the back. the sound becomes part of the piano right now when I'm listening to it. Sort of an extension. Adagio was one of the pieces that I also recorded during the first solo uh, piano recording and I wasn't satisfied with it. Before that even we tried to record it with uh, my trio and Nelson Veras for the album that came before that, Ascent. But also there I wasn't quite satisfied with, with it. So I thought, yeah, this isn't part of the record. Let me record something else. Then I started doing the overdubs at my friend Oliver Lutz's place. And then I thought maybe we could do the whole song in the can. So just no, nothing from using nothing from the original solo recording, but building it. So we re we did this, and then I thought, ah, but I need something to lead into it. Let me improvise an intro, and this is the intro played on uh, a synth. And now we get into the piece using the same sound for the intro then like when I, uh, using the same sound for the intro for the chords that I'm playing in the in the form here. The melody is played through the Mellotron flute sound again and supported by me playing it also on Ollie's upright piano that we recorded with my iPhone. <laughs> synth sound is, is coming from an app called uh, Arturia ISEM synthesizer and I 
been using this sound also in Oli's band, Recalamari. So I was familiar with it before. I think it kind of fits to this song. Now I'm soloing over the chords. I'm comping a little bit on the upright piano. It's very soft in the mix. On purpose. Adagio for Nobula Toner is, is dedicated to uh, Robert Landfermann and Nelson Veras. And Nobler Toners is an anagram of their names, Nelson and Robert. Now we're in the last section. We're looping and the flute is still soloing over that. Sometimes when I play piano, I imagine myself as a flute player or a horn player or whatever. And it's nice that through the help of the Mellotron on this record, I get to actually dive into that sound that I'm imagining when I'm playing sometimes. Elsa's idea is a song that is inspired by my daughter and she actually started this song uh, by inventing five notes for her first piano lesson that she had. And it was uh, an exercise where she had to play five notes that were set and then imagine five notes or a different amount of notes on her own. And what she imagined was what I'm playing in the left hand. And I then moved around what I played in the left hand and sort of made a form out of it and then composed a melody on top of it. But to give her credit, I said, this is Elsa's idea, which is the name of the piece. Again, this is from the third recording session. And... Um, Again, this is one of the more through-composed pieces that evolved through me just playing solo mostly for a year.
also if you look at the harmony is actually a blues blues and C it's a bit disguised and also I thought you know since the record is dedicated to my family it's nice to end with a song that is inspired by my kids like most of the album actually.